worship team. Appreciate your worship. I always feel a little bit warmer when they're singing. And so we're going to go right to the Word of God today. We uh, um, uh, have a message called Two Christmases, Two Christmases out of the Gospel of Matthew chapter 2. And what's a remarkable, we're going to read this in the text, there are two sides to the Christmas story right here in the text, and both of them are just as relevant and influential today as they were when, uh, when it happened in the beginning. And uh, the kind of Christmas that you have is actually something you have to choose to embrace and which one you experience. And the, the, the thing about Christmas is you can hardly be indifferent during Christmas. Do you know what I mean? It's usually going to move you emotionally and spiritually one way or the other. And um, I'm going to look at the verse here. I want you to stay with me. There are two Christmases. They're both in this text. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. This is the, the story of, of uh, Jesus' birth. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This is the prophecy. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he said to them, uh, to Bethlehem, rather he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they, the wise men, went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen, when it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts and gold, frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Verse 13, now when they had departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. So I want you to think with me about these two sides of Christmas and how they both represented it in the same story. And as you know, there are a lot of people that don't exactly experience Christmas the same way. Um, this is a, this, I couldn't make this up. This is, this is from a few years ago, a, a newspaper article. But an Austrian trade union claimed Christmas carols in department stores was psychoterrorism to their union members. And they said their staff suffered, some of their staff suffered psychological, pro psychological problems during Christmas season because of the constant playing of Christmas carols. Now, I don't know about any of you here. Some people, Christmas carols can get a little bit old after a while. I kind of feel that. But I'll tell you, the idea that there's some people that are not just not into Christmas, there are some people that are actually tormented by it. And this is something that I've always found fascinating because it's a very real aspect of the human experience. And although the claim that this is, you know, that this is causing psychological uh, damage to their, their members is probably nothing more than a lawsuit or trying to 
you know, make some money. But the truth is, the cases of spiritual assault during the holidays do go up. And um, this is not an inconsistent idea with the Bible and how the devil operates. We know that he is, that he is a thief who comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. And the fact of the matter is, it's important to see that there are two Christmases in this story. Because to some people, unlike the song, Christmas is not the most wonderful time of the year. And uh, so uh, what I want you to see is two sides of the same story. Let's look at the positive side. The side that we acknowledge, the side that we celebrate, is the bright light has shone in the darkness. Matthew 4.16 says, and this is one of the most beautiful verses, I believe, in the Gospels. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. This is, this is beautiful. That the world was in darkness. The world was under control. The world was being dominated. The Romans ruled at that time with an iron fist. There was, there, there, there was slavery. There was domination. There was all kinds of uh, cruel, uh, you know, uh, aspects to culture in those days. But the scripture prophesies that a light was shown in darkness. And this light began to pierce that darkness. And that light was Jesus. And it's a beautiful picture of Christmas. In fact, I would say that the, the, the star that the wise men from the east were following actually is, a, is quite a nice symbol of, of Christ himself being born into the world that was beyond all other influences, all other forms of light. Jesus is the light of the world. And they were being directed by that. And this was a way of saying it didn't matter where you came from. And this is another very important aspect of the Christmas story. Remember those wise men were from another country. It was, a, it was a prophecy that the Gentiles, that the whole world would now be influenced by the power of God. Not simply uh, the nation of Israel in the Holy Land. But now it was going to be the entire world were go was going to be enlightened and drawn to God. And that is really... Very important part of the Christmas story. And another part is that uh, is, is to never forget joy to the world. That the world is being told that in spite of all of our problems and all of our um, contradictions and all of our corruptions, that God has a master plan. And one day that plan is going to culminate with the, with the uh, reign of Jesus Christ over the earth. And remember what the angels uh, sang in Luke chapter 2, and they, it says, And suddenly there was with the angel uh, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth, and goodwill toward men. I mean, this is, this is an amazing, amazing statement about the birth of Jesus. What was going to happen to the world? And let me tell you something. That plan's not, it's not over yet. Jesus is coming back. And all of these things are going to be satisfied according to these prophecies. And it's a beautiful idea. And the birth of Jesus is this story right here. This is the story the wise men sought and were following with all their hearts and were able to witness firsthand. But the other side of the story is what I call the not very merry Herod's Christmas. Because Herod had a completely different influence over Christmas. 
And basically, what, what I'm saying here is, although the world was rejoicing, there is a reality. There's a spiritual reality we have to identify because we know it's there. And that Satan provides an incredibly vicious counterattack against the good news. Against the light. With that light that pierced darkness, darkness did not sit back and just let it happen. Darkness struck back with great force. And if I were to continue to read the text this morning, uh, you would have seen that what Herod did is that once he searched out for the child and couldn't find the child, he, he became enraged. And in the vicinity uh, of Bethlehem, he had every male child two years old and under put to death. Can you imagine This is not a very merry story. It's actually a very terrible story. And one of the great uh, 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 prophecies uh, uh, concerning that was Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted. In other words, there was something very vicious and ugly also happened during Christmas. Charles Dickens, um, you know, a Christmas carol. You know, Charles Dickens was a bit of an activist. Uh, and uh, he, he, a lot of it is he, he felt like this, uh, you know, he had a lot to say about the way the poor were treated in England and how the middle classes had ignored the poor. And that was, a, it was quite a thing to him. Mm-hmm. And his whole idea for A Christmas Carol was actually, a first, before it was a, it was a story, was actually uh, uh, um, to just make a statement, to write some kind of, uh, of statement, some kind of tract against, uh, you know, the, 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 the inequality and, and, and the terrible plight of the poor in, in England and came out as a Christmas carol with, uh, you know, Scrooge and, 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 and Cratchit. And so and in a lot of ways, they say that the reason this was such a big deal to him and these themes are constantly playing in Charles Dickens is because it was a reflection of his own childhood. His father was thrown into a debtor's prison when he was a child, and he had to really suffer and work really hard. And so when he thought about Christmas, he, he didn't just want to tell you, you know, all beautiful and lights and trees and, 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 and gifts. He said there was another side to Christmas where people are sitting in Scrooge's office very cold. That's why we turned the heat down so you could feel that moment. Um, But he said Christmas was not always a good thing to everybody, right? I call this the Herod spirit of Christmas. And Herod's spirit of Christmas past still torments a lot of people. I've, I've experienced this. 11 months out of the year, many can face life with a positive attitude and a stiff upper lip. But there's something about the, the, the holiday season in some people that really, really becomes very difficult emotionally. There was a woman that used to come to our church in New Mexico, very nice lady, good mother, family. But uh, I don't know what her story was, but around Christmas and I, I, first season, you think it's a one-off. But after observing her a couple, three years, you realize, man, it was almost about a five or six week period of her, she would just switch off emotionally. She would switch off. And her, her husband finally told me this, yeah, this is her pattern. Every year she switches off. Because this is the other side. There are two stories. There's the beautiful story, and then there's Satan's vicious counter assault. 
It says in Revelation chapter 12, I referred to this the other night, and it gives you a big overview, you know, of, of, of uh, Jesus. It says, then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. And that's exactly what a lot of people experience during Christmas. It says when the dragon couldn't destroy the child of the woman, that he, he in turn... He turns and he says, I'm just going to torment people. Sometimes we underestimate the viciousness of our enemy. And so there are two Christmases before I move on here. There's the, uh, there's the real one. There's the beautiful one, the light shining in darkness. And then there's Herod's Christmas. So what I want to talk next of all is about what I call the inversion. And so this is what happens. Rather than Christmas being a time of celebration, and I'll end with this, but it becomes inverted into a, almost a, a opposite of what it was meant to be. And so let me just run through this quickly. See, what, what, what happened, Christmas was meant to do was elevate, right? What did the, the, the wise men see? They saw a star, so their heads were lifted, and they were, followed the heavens. And from following the heavens in that star, that it wasn't a regular star. It was a, it was a miracle star. And that star then uh, led them to God's word. So everything about Christmas elevated them and when they finally met Jesus right they were elevated to the highest and they gave gifts they opened the treasures and they shared and this is the spirit but what 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 an inversion against Christmas does is it actually reverses people rather than make you heavenly minded it makes you more earthbound some of the most carnal months a weeks I should say if you be honest in a Christian's life can be during the, the holiday season. All of a sudden, the prayer life's out the window. You know what I'm saying? Every other discipline's out the window, and it just kind of like just, you know what I'm saying. And so rather than being more spiritual, we become more earthbound. And it brings with it a drifting. And this is the weird thing about the Christmas season. Not only is not the, the Christmas season not really focused, on the reason for the season, as we say, it actually every year seems to provide a, even a further and a further drifting away in a weird way. It's actually working the opposite sometimes. I think ultimately the devil's goal is to belittle, belittle the faith of the believer and try to break the meaning of the actual purpose of Christ in, in the world. Let me give you, I remember, show, I'm going to show you a picture. This was from Tate Britain a couple years ago. I have a photograph here, guys, of Tate. You, you see it? it? It's Tate Britain. Yeah, okay, I wanted to put that up there. The, a couple years ago, Norman and I was during the lockdown. We were doing a lot of walking. I, re, I, think, I think Sean was doing these, these, these walking uh, competitions. And so um, Norman would walk in the day, and in the night we'd walk. And so one time we were doing this um, super long walk. We ended up by Tate Britain. And so we walked up and said, oh, man, it was Christmas season. It was probably about this time of the year, maybe. And um, we said, this is beautiful. That's, man, the, uh, that's is amazing. They've done this tremendous, uh, uh, you know, decoration for Christmas. And so as we walked closer to it, and we're looking for, uh, um, now this one, has a, this one has a Merry Christmas on it. But uh, we begin to realize that most of it was for Diwali, the Indian holiday. 
that, that, that somehow the Christmas thing had been put in a little corner and begin to see all these other symbols that we're talking about. Now I understand there's, there's a, a significant percent, uh, group of people in London, you might celebrate Diwali, but, you know, England's heritage is, is, is decidedly Christmas, is what I'm trying to say. And so the point I'm making is that you can see this drifting. It goes further and further away. And people, not, not only are they not following, they're actually drifting. The, uh, um, and, and then what we see this oftentimes leads to is um, materialism, right? Remember, it was about giving. It was about sharing. But somehow, gift-giving has shifted into materialism. What's the first shopping day of uh, official uh, Christmas shopping day of the year called? In America, we call it Black Friday. It's the day after Thanksgiving. Now, how many know... Uh, uh, Black Friday can easily morph into red bank account. <laughs> and so the whole spirit of it now is just different. It's people, and now it doesn't happen here. But I, I laugh, but it's really not funny. In the U.S., you could stand outside a Costco, and there would be a massive queue. And, I mean, as soon as they unlock the door, they trample each other on the way in. There are fist fights over whatever's on the end of the, uh, you know, table. I mean, there people are choking each other, trying to get what they want. And it's all in the Christmas spirit. That's what happened. Not just Christmas. In, at least on a normal day when it's not Christmas, you treat somebody halfway decent. But because it's Christmas, you're choking them over, over you know, over the blender you want to buy. And people have completely lost. And, and, and there's something about Christmas. It's sad, but it brings out the worst element. It can actually, Christmas season can actually cause your addiction to materialism to manifest more than any other time of the year. It can bring your true value system up. How do you know? You didn't get what you wanted. All upset. Angry rejected, dejected, you know, goes back to your childhood. Chuck Swindoll, he's a, he's a, he's a well-known older preacher in America. He's been around a long time. He's a very wise, wise old uh, preacher. And he made this statement. I'm going to quote it. I have the, I have the, you can follow uh, with me. I have the slides. But he says, the good life, the one that truly satisfies, exists only when we stop wanting a better one. It is the condition of savoring what is rather than longing for what might be. The itch for things, the lust for more, so brilliantly injected by those who peddle them, is a virus draining our souls of happy contentment. Have you noticed? A man never earns enough. A woman is never beautiful enough. Clothes are never fashionable enough. Cars are never nice enough. Gadgets are never modern enough. Houses are never furnished enough. Food is never fancy enough. Relationships are never romantic enough. Life is never full enough. Satisfaction comes when we step off the escalator of desire and say, this is enough. What I have will do. And this is what, this is what brings out of people. This is Herod's Christmas right here. That's a double entendre if you live in London. 
There's the Herod's is down by Knightsbridge. But this is a... Um, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? They, their whole life is just simply for stuff and things. And it, we're not only following the original Christians. We're like reverse. And let me just say a, a few more words here about the melancholy spirit. Not only are we not rejoicing over the light, we actually sometimes retreat into the dark. Sometimes Christmas brings with it, the Herod's Christmas, I call it, excruciating bouts of introspection. And you can't help it, but there is something about Christmas that reminds you of your childhood. You can't help it. My brother last year, um, he sent, uh, he, he, you know, the, the home videos, you know, like from, uh, they weren't videos, they were films, eight millimeter films. And he, he, he got a hold of all this, these films that my parents had accumulated. They passed, but he got, and, and he had them spliced, and he made a really nice little, little video of our, of our Christmases as small children. And, you know, I watched it probably five or six times, you know. But this does something. You go, you go back, you know, and you start, and you see yourself with the kids, and, the, and, and you're like, but you can't help it, can you? And so Christmas does that to people. It sends you back into introspection. And if you're not careful, if you, things were not so happy, it could really take you to a, to a sad place. So it's not really not a mystery of what, what's happening here. And then from that sad place or from the frustrations, from those things you feel were unresolved, then you start asking those questions again about today. And how many know those questions become harsher and harsher? It's like, why did my dad leave? You know, you've thought of that question before, but it's a harder question to ask about this time of year, I think. You know, how come I don't have a better job? How come I'm not married? And you start just going down the rabbit trail in that dark moment. And it can happen any time of year, but there's something about this time of year when it is physically darker, shadows are longer. Even when the sun is shining in London, this might my, 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 my take on it. It's still like a 40-watt bulb in the sky. I mean, it doesn't really give you a whole lot of light. In Arizona, where we lived, you know, the sun just is like massive, you know. It's like Jupiter. But over here, it's just like a 40-watt bulb in the sky. So no matter where you are, you know, it gets darker, and you can allow your, your spirit. Remember the, 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 the point about Christmas originally, a light shining in darkness. But what happened is people retreat to the darkness, and it's too easy to do that because things are darker. So what I want to close with is, is, is the last part, and that is reclaiming Christmas. And in order to reclaim Christmas, you must do something called rejoice. Now, this is different. There's the word joy, and then there's the word rejoice. The word rejoice, rejoice rather, is different from the word joy. Joy is something you can feel. I have a feeling of joy. But rejoice means it's, it's the same root word, but in front of it is the command to have joy. So rejoice means be joyful. So this is an interesting word. It's a very biblical word. 
where God actually commands us to embrace joy. Um, let me read you Philippians uh, 4, very popular verse of Scripture. Excuse me, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let me, let me reverse that. Be joyful in the Lord always. Again, I say be joyful. Let your reasonableness or your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And this is one of the most important verses when you're feeling, when you're feeling a dark place is the, is, is the, the grace and the peace of God to guard your heart and your mind. How do you do that? You do that by taking this command seriously. Be joyful. See, happiness and joy are two different ideas. We don't know that today because we're always being sold happiness. The word happy comes from, uh, I believe it's, it's a Gaelic word that means hap or luck. So what, when you, someone says I'm happy, they're really saying I feel like I'm lucky. Now, Pastor Jay mentioned the person that, 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 that won, won the lottery or whatever. That was, that's called luck. Another word for that, even a less, a less dramatic word, a phrase, would be good fortune, like something good happened to you. But let me tell you something. People who go through life waiting for something good to happen to them, I guarantee you, you're going to be miserable most of the time. Because how often does something fall on you like that? Not very so happiness, people that are seeking happiness are always going to be miserable because that's not how, that's not joy. Joy is what God gives us, joy to the world. Jesus has come. But then it says just God offering us joy is not enough that you and I must rejoice. That we have to receive that joy, we have to embrace that joy, and we have to express that joy. I'm telling you, this is a very biblical concept. And Deuteronomy, and I'm not going to go into all the details of that, but God is basically training these slave people to take their inheritance, right? Forty years in the wilderness, time for you no longer, no more, no more slave thinking. You're going to go into the land and you're going to be conquerors. But one of the things that he provided for them were um, celebrations, three main ones every year and other, uh, others besides. But let me just read to you. It says, and there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice. Notice that phrase. How do you tell? You can't tell me to be happy. I can't tell you to be happy, but God can tell us to be joyful. So many parents, you know what it's like with your kids, right? You're going to wipe that frown off your face. You're going to walk in here. You're going to go see your nan. You're going to put a smile on your face. You're going to hug her, and you're going to, you, you know what I mean? Of course you can tell them to do that. And if you don't tell your children to do that, you're making a big mistake. Well, that's a very, because they're going to develop very bad habits of moodiness. So God says, you can't walk around all moody at your own, uh, you know, every time you feel like it. I think one of the most destructive phase, phrases of this generation is, the words, I'm not feeling it. Because when people say I'm not feeling it, they're giving themselves an excuse to behave any way they want to. And then they say, I'm just being real. 
So those two things, I'm just being real. Well, God says, stop being the bad real. Stop being real bad. And rejoice. And so he says that, that, that when you guys go to your festivals, you're going to rejoice and you're going to do, uh, you're going to have a good time. And you know, even the Sabbath is not really made for, God, Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. You know, the Sabbath, even that one day a week, was so God could slow down the world and say, okay, guys, enjoy what, you, what, what I've done. So what, what, what it comes down to with Christmas is that people have not, where we fail Christmas, wherever you are on the spectrum, when, I, I don't care what you think about. When you fail Christmas, God tells us to take what he gives us and rejoice, to embrace it, and enjoy it. And that's not like all the big things of life. That could be the simple things. That could be a nice, you know, whatever your, 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 your Christmas tradition is. That could be food. That could be, that could be Christmas pudding. I had Christmas pudding yesterday. It's an English thing. Man, that's good. I don't know why America doesn't have custard, man. I don't know what it is. It must be from the Revolutionary War, but they don't. They don't, they don't sell it. But it could just be simplicity. Do you know what I mean? Family, simplicity. Added, you know, instead of having to have this and have that and be so materialistic. But I, I do think some Christians make a mistake by saying the world is just too much like this and so I'm just going to leave it. No, I don't think you can leave it. I think you can either rejoice or you're going to go to a dark place. I think there are two Christmases and people usually end up in one or the other. Let me just share this last thing here. I know it's called Ebenezer Scrooge. Going back to uh, Christmas Carol. I think one of the greatest lines in anything ever written on the subject of Christmas comes from Scrooge. You know, Scrooge is all angry and mean, and he didn't like it. He didn't like it, and this and that. He rejected. That's what, that's what a lot of people, they get very cynical around Christmas time. You know, Scrooge is a lot of people. And, and, and if you notice, the whole thing was about all his reasons for hating Christmas. You know, the ex-girlfriend and whatever they, they all had. But when he finally converts, and that's what happens, he converts. And he says at the very end, I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. Now, what does that mean, I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year? He was saying, he was basically saying, you know what, I'm going to quit dragging my attitude around being negative and cynical and accusatory, feeling sorry for myself, being all angry about what didn't work out for me. And I'm going to take this gift from God, and I'm going to rejoice. I'm paraphrasing it. I'm going to rejoice. I'm going I'm to have an atti- a good attitude about this. And, you know, when, when, when people start to do that, you start blessing your children. That's what blesses your children, not, not, not the latest video game. even though they wouldn't say that, but that's not what blesses your children. And when you see a parent with some joy lift your spirit, pick you up, and it's something special, it's the specialness. Don't you get it? It's the specialness that makes it what it is. It's not all that nonsense. It's not the inversion version of Christmas. It's that people make it special, that they make it, you know, uh, um, something that 
is, is different, something that lights up a child's eyes and say, this is a better, the world, even though it's very, very dark outside, the light has pierced the darkness. So I say to you, which Christmas are you going to have? You're going to have Herod's Christmas or are you going to have the angelic declaration that joy has come to the world? And so I'd say rejoice. Some of you, you have a hard time. But rejoice. Learn how to be joyful. To, to take what God has done and say, God, this is going to be a good time. This is going to be a time of blessing. And the, Why do you think he required of it of them three times a year? You're going to go to these, these major festivals like Passover, Feast of Weeks. You're going to go there and you're going to have a good time because he wanted to put it into their minds that you just can't be dragging yourself through life in obligation. It doesn't work. I want you to bow your heads with me today. I say have a Merry Christmas, and I mean that in a very literal way. I mean that in a very literal way, that you have to embrace it, and you have to rejoice in what God gives you. You, make, you, you do whatever family thing it is, but you rejoice, and you say, you say, God is good, thankful. It says when the wise men saw the star that they rejoiced exceedingly. And it says it twice. They said they had joy. It says they had exceeding joy and they rejoiced. It says it like the, when, the, when the Bible repeats it like, like, like that, that, that's a way of saying, you know, times ten. It just, they were just having a wonderful, wonderful experience. Before um, we finish, and we're going to close here shortly, if you don't have Jesus in your heart, can I tell you, he's your answer. Light has come into the darkness. That's the, that's the story right there. Light has pierced the darkness. Jesus is the light of the world. And people go through life, you know, we're hurting. You're scraping by, emotionally trying to survive. I'm not trying to pick on you. I'm just saying it's a struggle. I'm, not, I'm, I'm trying to identify the reality. It's a struggle. But I'm telling you there's an answer. We have an answer. Jesus is your answer tonight, today. That's, why, that's what Christmas is about, that God has finally broke into a dark world and provided the answer that people have been desperately waiting for. His name is Jesus. And if you need to receive Jesus here, you're not saved. You're not born again. I want to give you that invitation right now before we finish this service. That's you. I'd like you to lift up your hand and just show it to me. Just very quickly say, Pastor, I, would want, I want prayer today. I want to receive Jesus into my life. I want Jesus to be real to me. I want to have a real experience with God that lifts that cloud and that burden. I want you to slip it up. I want you to slip it up. Amen. Maybe you're a backsitting Christian and, and, you know, things got real heavy on you. You, you know what it is to, to, to serve God. You know what it is to have a relationship with God. But uh, maybe you just got down. But, you know, I'm telling you, Jesus is the light. Go to the light. He that has begun a good work can finish the work. Jesus is the light. And you say, Pastor, I'm going to repent. Come back to Jesus. I want you to slip your hand up. You're a backsitting believer. Coming back to Christ. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is good. I want us to stand up to our feet right now. Let's stand up to our feet together. Maybe you can warm yourself up a little bit. Stand up to our feet. I want to do something different here before I, I finish the service. I'm, I want to pray directly for you. I've given an invitation. If you need Christ, I, it's not too late. You can come, and we will be happy to pray for you. But any you you came here this morning. You got a special need, and you know you're carrying a burden. You really, really need. As I speak this morning of the light. God, I need that light to break through your darkness. Jesus is the light of the world, and that's the word today. You need to embrace that light. How do you embrace it? You need to rejoice. Say, God, I receive this. I thank you. But some of your, your burden, you're down. You start getting very beaten down. I just want to take some time to pray for you. I want you to come and stand here right now. I just want you to come and stand up. We're going to pray. We're going to take dominion. my eyes on you I lay my burdens down casting aside every sin and every way Thank you so much for joining our service today If you prayed with us today or you would like more information please contact us at www.pottershouselive.london or you can send an email to J at pottershouselive.london. Alternatively, you can reach us on 0791411762. I may dwell in your house, O Lord, my King. All the days of my life, I want to gaze upon your beauty. Seek you in this holy place. Sing that again. One thing. One thing I ask, oh Lord. One thing. one thing I see. I may dwell in your house, oh Lord, my King. All the days of my life, I want to gaze upon. Your beauty and seek you in this form.